Hi, you're listening to When Isabel Met Aviva, a podcast about rom-coms, female-driven screenwriting, and how to break into the entertainment industry. I'm Aviva. And I'm Isabel. And thanks for joining us, guys. It's been so fun. This is episode five of the podcast. And we're just still so excited. We're getting more guests. And this is one of our guest episodes. So we are about to talk to Christine Conrad, who is a prolific Hallmark and Lifetime writer, producer, director. She has over 70 credits on IMDb. Amazing. She's so cool. (laughs) I have I've been in contact with her for a few years uh, since I took her Christmas webinar class in 2021. I was taking some like Christmas writing classes to break into that genre. And so I took her class and it was amazing. It really opened my eyes to like how uh, how huge this genre is, the Christmas genre and the made for TV <laughs> just world. It's incredible. Uh, they're making so many films each year. So we're really excited to chat with her all about her background, writing, her new movies coming up, all that. So thanks and for And she gave us first um, a little Christmas charm Yes, we read. Yeah, yes, we read that. To... We saw the film. So we're excited to chat with her about that project with Ashley Green from Twilight. Yeah. We love, we love anything Twilight, Twilight related <laughs> on our pod. <laughs> and yeah, let's just get into the interview and chat with Christine. Cool. Thanks so much for your time, Christine. We're really excited to chat with you. Um, I think you guys know each other or how did you guys meet? Yeah, I believe I, well, I signed up for Christine's uh, Christmas webinar in 2021 during the pandemic. And I believe that's how we connected. And then there's a Facebook holiday group. And I think that's how we became Facebook friends. Oh, cool. Yeah. You just added me to that Facebook group, I think. Yes. It's a really cool one. There are a lot yeah, of it seems really fun. people in there. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what was the class that you, that Christine taught? It was the holiday. You took the 2021 holiday webinar, right? Yes. Oh, that was okay. a fun one because we were in the middle of the pandemic and um, no one could go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody started, started doing these online webinars. and But I actually started doing mine, um, I think it was two years before that. I do it every year. It's the, the holiday screenwriting or screenplay webinar. And I talk about how to write um, holiday movies for different uh, platforms like <clears throat> Netflix and Hallmark and Lifetime and all those. So. Oh, that's yeah. really cool. That's awesome. Fun. I went through this long phase. I took like multiple, you know, there were a bunch of webinars during that time. So I took yours. I took like a few others and it was, it was really beneficial. And I was just watching a ton of Hallmark movies and it was my like Hallmark awakening. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really fun to learn about that. So I'm, actually yeah. doing, one again. I'm doing one again this year too on December oh, 2nd. Cool. Yeah. So December 2nd. Bit- yeah, December 2nd. It's a little different than the one that you took, um, Aviva, because basically... I talked a lot in yours about how to write those movies, the Christmas movies and how you, you know, all the things that go into that. And this year I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but I'm going to lean in more to how you sell them after you have them done, because there's so many people now who have done them, you know, mm. now that you have the script, you're like, what do I, what do I do with it yeah. now? <laughs> like, good. Where do I send it? So uh, I'm going to lean more into that. Um, this year and talk a little bit about how you figure out who to send it to and how to query and all the things that you need to have ready, like your log line and your synopses and all those things. 
That sounds, that sounds super helpful. I might sign up for that class. Yeah, same. <laughs> I, I need that class. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Though I do feel like we learned with we were like cold emailing people to to come on our podcast and we we got like a few no's, but we got some responses from some like big people that we both had a moment of like, oh, this kind of helped us learn about how to write a cold email. <laughs> Yeah, it's all learning experience. Yeah, even the rejection. Yeah, you know, like you do get better. I've, um, I do consulting and I help clients, and um, usually they send me a screenplay that they want me to do notes on and help them with or whatever, help them develop their idea or whatever. But some of them, um, are done and they want me to help them write their query letters. Oh, and okay. so you know, and it's funny to see like their very first version, and then after I sort of edit it all out for them and change it, um, then you know, I think they get better and better. And then finally they don't need me anymore, which is exactly where I want them to be. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Okay. So we would love to chat with you. Yeah. Just the beginning of your career, how you got yeah. into this, you have really amazing filmography, so many credits, and it seems like you started in thriller and yeah. then did more rom-coms <laughs> later. So I'd just be curious, how did you get into screenwriting? How'd you go from thriller to the rom-com? <laughs> well, I grew up in Nebraska. And at the time that I was growing up, I was a child in the 80s. Um, there wasn't really a film um, program there to take. And there wasn't really any film production going on there. Um, so I didn't even know that screenwriting was a thing. I was going to be a lawyer, <laughs> honestly, until my, until my junior year of high school. And you know how they start sending you those pamphlets for all the colleges? Yeah. Yes. Actually, I don't know if they still do that. They did that back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. um, and they listed, USC sent me one and listed screenwriting as a major. And I was like, oh, you can actually be a screenwriter. This is so cool. And I had won a lot of awards for prose that I had written um, throughout my, my high school career. And oh, so cool. I applied. And once I applied, I knew that was exactly what I wanted to do. I ended up only applying to one college, which freaked my parents out. They're like, at least apply to Nebraska. Yes. What Get in. And I was like, no, if I don't, you know, being 18, I'm like, no, if I don't get in, I'll just apply again next year. But I got in. So it all worked yeah. out. And I went to, uh, I went to the USC film school uh, in Los Angeles and um, loved it, decided I wanted to take only writing classes um, and took every writing class that I could and got out and started working in development pretty quickly out of, um, out of college and kind of parlayed those relationships into being able to, to write. Um, I sold my first script pretty quickly and then it took a long time to sell the next one. And so during that time, I, um, I was actually working at the YMCA, um, which I love the YMCA. Like I grew up as a kid in <laughs> the swim in the YMCA and gymnast, everything we did. Yeah, we same here. <laughs> so, um, cool. so I was a lifeguard there. And so they kept asking me like, do you want to learn how to do this? Do you want to be a fitness instructor? Do you want to do this? And eventually I just worked my way up to a uh, senior program manager. <laughs> and um, at one point they wanted me to take on my own branch. And this was when I, this was between getting writing jobs and they said, but you need to give us a five-year commitment because there's a lot of training involved in doing that. Oh, wow. And um, I thought about, it. I was like, no, I, I went to film school. I want to really try this. And so I, that was the point where I actually quit the YMCA and uh, took out a loan to live on for six months. I said, oh I can't make a living in six months doing what I want to do. I can always go find another job. And um, I ended up writing two scripts during that time. Neither one of those scripts sold, but they both got me work in the thriller world. 
Um, and they were both thrillers actually. And, um, and that's how I started writing thrillers. And I just started working with a producer who worked for Lifetime. And so started doing rewrites on those thrillers. And eventually I said to him, like, I would love to start one, like my idea, instead of taking on everyone else's idea and kind of fixing their scripts. And he let me do that. And then other people saw that I was doing that. And I was getting calls from people like, hey, I see you're working, you know, and doing Lifetime movies. You're an approved Lifetime writer. Would you come do a script for us? Do you have any pitches for us? And so that's how I started doing a lot of, a lot of thrillers. Wow. I just fell into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, quick question. Uh, when you said that you, like USC sent you a pamphlet in the mail about screenwriting, <laughs> did you know what screenwriting was at all? Or like, did you have oh, to like oh look it God, up? No, I thought, <laughs> I thought actors made up their own lives. <laughs> 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 no, one day. <laughs> like that is, yeah, none of my family was in the industry. I, I didn't know of the industry, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, I had no, I was like screenwriting. And then when I went to the website for, for USC and I saw what you learn, you know, they give you the list of classes, like the curriculum. And I was like, oh, this would be so fun. And, it, you know, it was so much fun stuff. And, and I loved it. I really felt like, um, I felt like a lot in high school, I didn't really fit in with the other people in my high school. And a lot of those people, they were so happy just living in Nebraska and they kind of knew what they wanted to do. And I was just sort of this kind of creative weirdo that loved to write and, and, uh, was much more of, I felt like a risk taker. And so, um, yeah. So when I got to USC and I was surrounded by people who were kind of creative weirdos, yeah. you know, and loved to write and were risk takers, I, I really found my people there. Um, and I loved it. That's, that's cool. I, I can totally relate. Cause I grew up in Ohio, felt the exact same way I got. I think I told Aviva in our first episode, I think I just Googled what screenwriting was one day. And then I went to Emerson college and I had that ex same like experience, just being on a campus with like a bunch of other like weirdos who were just like I'm gonna be a film person and I was like oh I feel mm -hmm. like I found my people finally yeah yeah <laughs> it's a strange feeling because you don't even know what you're missing until you actually find it mm -hmm. you know really yeah. and and you know those people my husband is actually from Ohio also oh so. what part <laughs> um, well so he but he grew up I'll just say that so his whole family is still in Ohio but he grew up in Arizona went to Arizona State so he moved oh, okay. when he was was little, um, but we still, you know, we still watch the Buckeye games and, you know, <laughs> um, but, but I think it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it really taught me that creative people are inherently creative. You know, everyone is, everyone typically is creative in some way, whether you're in construction and you're building houses, whether you're trying to build a family, everyone has that creative, um, part to them. But I think for people who want to write and tell stories, those people are not going to be happy unless they can be doing exactly that. And it took me doing it to understand how important that decision that I made not to, to stay at the YMCA and do what I was doing, which would have been a great financial path for me and a lot of security. I don't think I would have ever been as happy doing it as I am now being able to, to tell stories, you know, and influence yeah. people that way and, and connect with other people in the world that way. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm sure you have that in you as well. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, dad, are you listening? Are you hearing? <laughs> Do you understand me better now? <laughs> I'm sure he does. I'm sure he already did. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so for Christine, uh, so you were doing thrillers and then when did you learn about 
Christmas as a genre and the holiday genre? When did that happen? Yeah, so I've I've always liked I've always liked watching thrillers and horror movies. Like those were kind of my favorite things. And I wasn't really into the rom commy stuff. It felt honestly, it felt to me fake. You know, it's like, oh, people's relationships aren't like this and no one's happy all the time and they're not so simple. <laughs> and, you know, and um, and eventually, though, I had this idea for a Christmas movie that I had a produ- I had a meeting with a producer and I pitched this this idea that I had that had just been floating around in my brain for a long time. And he's like, I love it. Send me the script. And well, there was no script. And I, kind of, I was like, sure. And I was very young at the point and didn't feel comfortable telling him there's no script. So I went home on the weekend and I wrote it in a weekend. Oh my and I gosh. sent him the script. Yeah, I, like a lot of coffee on that one. And sent him the script and he loved it. And they actually ended up, it was a company in Canada that optioned it and they re-optioned it. So it was sort of tied up for about three years. Eventually they said, you know, we can't we can't find anyone who wants to make that. It had a male lead. And most, mm. as you know, most of the Hallmark style Christmas movies are a female lead. Number one on the call sheet is going to be a female. And this was very male centric, um, but it was, but it was a love story. Um, and so it went on the shelf for years. And then eventually I decided to start directing and I was directing some thrillers. I did a project with um, a producer who um, liked working with me and he made a lot of money on, on one of the thrillers that I helped him write and produce and sell. And so he came back to me. He's like, I'll do anything you want to do. He's like, let's cat, let's put the magic in the bottle. I was like, well, I have a Christmas movie. He's like, let's do it. And it was so amazing that it happened the way it did because at the time that I, the first company optioned it, I was not ready to direct it. But by this time I had already directed a couple movies and I felt really comfortable directing this. And so I got to direct it. So that was the film that I produced, wrote and directed. It's available on Amazon called 12 Days of Giving. It's a very low budget. Uh, you can tell it, we didn't have a lot of money to make it, but the story is very cute. The acting is amazing. Um, and it has such a good message. And every year when that re-airs, I do get emails from people that I don't know saying like, I just saw this movie for the first time and I love it and it made me cry. And it's just, Aww. it's the Aww. best feeling. <laughs> That's so beautiful. It, it was and still one of my favorite projects because of that, because it just, even when we, even when we were shooting it, there's a scene at the end in a church where he's professing his love to, uh, to Ashley Jones's character. She plays, mm-hmm. she plays the female lead. And I look over and one of the background actors sitting next to Ashley, she's crying. And I'm like, Aww. okay, cut. Are, are you okay? She's like, oh my God, it's just so beautiful. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so yeah, so I, I love that. Um, I love that movie for that reason. So that was sort of my entree into Christmas movies. Um, at one point, uh, one of the execs I had worked with a lot at Lifetime and loved, um, she went to Hallmark. She left, okay. Lifetime went to Hallmark. And they had a project that they... Um, decided the writer just, it wasn't working with that writer and so she asked to bring me on so she told the producers to call me they called me they said we have this rewrite you know she wants you to do it I said sure they said you're gonna have to join the WGA to do this because Hallmark is you know typically WGA and, and they were um and so um I said okay that you know, I know I'm going to have to give up all my non-union work. And I was doing a lot for Lifetime at the time. Those were all non-union. Now, Lifetime does do uh, some WGA stuff, but they do a lot of the, the acquisitions, which are non-union. I knew I was going to have to give that up. And and I did. And after that, the same producers then kind of kept hiring me to do more rom-coms. So okay. it was just a strange, it wasn't like I sought it out. 
So much that happens in this industry, as you guys probably know, is not from you seeking it out. Yeah. <laughs> like random things happening to you, random people meeting you, just being in the right place at the right time, um, those kinds of things. So that's why I always tell people like the more opportunities you can give yourself to meet that person, to have that pitch ready, to know what you're doing, to have that spec script or that sample script, you're just, you're increasing your own odds right? That something will be, that you'll be there at the right place at the right time. And you'll be the person that they think of when they need a writer. That's yeah. so true. Yeah. That's um, awesome. Was it hard for you at all to, to shift between writing a thriller and writing the rom-com Christmas movie, or did it just, it sounds like it came naturally for you. <laughs> they're, they're so different. You know, I joke that I finally got sick of killing people and I wanted to make a fall in love instead. I, <laughs> it's, it's so building the, the, elements of a thriller is so different than building the elements of a of a of a romance right and when we talk about rom-coms a lot of these you know there's there's more romance really than comedy you know mm -hmm. it, it's not yes. a judd apatow type script where mm -hmm. you know it's mostly comedy and you have sort of these funny little romantic undertones it's mostly the romance and it builds very very slowly in these whether it's a christmas holiday romance rom-com or just a regular like non-holiday rom-com so those are very very different skills to build um but i i like both of them you know i i think they're both a lot of fun and if you do them well then you've really taken the audience on the ride and they want the couple to either get together or they want the killer to be found either way you know you, you've taken <laughs> them on the side and you've got your audience have you ever was... written a christmas thriller is that what you're gonna say Isabel? too <laughs> yeah I have not. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, there's not a huge market for those, mm -hmm. really. Yeah, like, yeah. Like LMN is doing one this year, mm. one. Um, and in the past, it's been, you know, they've kind of been hit and miss in the ratings. I think part of the reason is that when people think of Christmas, they want that feel good, warm, like let's drink hot chocolate and eat popcorn type movie. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. thrillers don't, right? And and they've just come out of Halloween, which I don't know about you guys, but for like a solid month, I watch horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like this is the time. Like every, it's on. Every, Halloween is on every single night. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. So I think that people just by that time of the year they're ready to have something feel good and warm that yeah. they can watch with their family versus the thriller. So no, I have not. Um, I don't. I don't even think I would probably want to do that. I mean, I won't say mm -hmm. that if someone wants to hire me to do it, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would seek out as a spec and be like, oh, this is this is a project I'm passionate about. I probably would. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. We were talking on a different podcast how we there should be like Halloween rom-coms on these platforms yeah. because it's blowing up in the book world. Uh, a lot of like witchy Gilmore Girls mm -hmm. style Halloween rom-coms. I would love to write one of those. <laughs> that was actually really fun, I think. Yes. You know, there's kind of two aspects of Halloween, right? There's sort of like the really scary stuff. And then yeah. there's sort of that fun Casper the Ghost style yeah. stuff. Right? Yeah. It sort of is more nostalgic and reminds you of when you were a kid and trick-or-treating and all those things. Yeah. I think that stuff is really, I think a rom-com in that world really works. Yeah. Right? Yes. Because it just, it brings back the nostalgia. And and like the Christmas rom-coms do, a lot of it is about nostalgia, right? It's about taking you back to when you were a kid and you were opening gifts or you were spending time with grandma and grandpa and doing these things. That's really what a lot of these movies um, are intended to do. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. I feel like, yeah, that that's what a Halloween rom-com can capture, right? Like us when we used mm -hmm. to be kids going trick-or-treating and 
I'm kind of surprised that there hasn't been one yet. Like well, set it's your in class. that. You better get on it right <laughs> after. Part yeah. of you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's co-write one about witches or something. About witches. <laughs> Just um, to fall in love. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> how cute, honestly, how cute is that? We just came up with a great idea, and they like cast spells. They're in love with the same guy, and they cast spells on each other, trying Ooh. to get him to try to get him to like like them. Yeah. Like them. <laughs> I oh, like love that. It. Love it. <laughs> I would watch it. Uh, um, oh, I was just gonna ask because I I saw in your um, bio that you got a master's in criminal justice. Did that happen before you started writing thrillers or? No, it happened after. And it was funny. So about, I don't know, five years before I kind of made that switch into rom-coms and, and start okay. writing comic movies. Um, I kind of had this epiphany. I had done so many, I had probably at that point done maybe 50 thrillers for oh, wow. a lifetime. And I was, I had done more than any other writer. And I said, what do I need to do to be like the best thriller writer I could be, right? And I came up with this list. You know, no one should ever give me a pen and tell me to make a list because I came up with this <laughs> list. And on this list was get a master's degree in criminal in criminal oh justice or criminology, one of them. Um, get certified with the um, with one of the police departments as a um, as a citizens. Uh, I forget what they call it, but you can actually, as a citizen, most police departments, you can actually take like a 16 week class oh. where you do ride alongs and all this stuff. So I wanted oh. to do that. Um, and there were a couple other much easier things to accomplish on that list. <laughs> and so I did them, I did them all. And oh that's how I ended up getting my master's in criminal justice. I went to uh, Boston university. It was all online. I was still living in Los Angeles, working, writing uh, full time while I was doing the the 18 month program full time. And it was great. It, there was so much that I learned. And what was really cool about it being online is that it pulled um, most of the people that were in those classes with me were not screenwriters, obviously, they were in law enforcement in different agencies around the country in different capacities. And just learning from them, like from probation officers to police officers to canine police officers, you know, and what they do and and making those contacts also was really helpful to me because it's very hard when you're writing a thriller to call up a random probation officer and say, so what would my character need to do to skip probation? You know, they're not <laughs> going to tell you that because you're probably calling for your brother. So, so this now gave people the opportunity. I have like these people now who know I'm a legitimate writer. They trust me. They've spent 18 months with me, um, who I can call and, and do that research. And it made my life actually a lot easier. And that was an unexpected perk of, of getting that, that master's degree. That's so smart. Yeah. I feel like you, like, you just dove right into all the research and like, <laughs> I, that's so inspiring. Yeah. Do you guys like research? <laughs> like researching like do you love the the part where you have to research stuff or do you just want to like skip past it and be like I'm ready to write I wish I just knew the information it depends on on what it is like because right now I'm I'm starting to write a Indian rom-com and I, I'm half Indian but I didn't grow up in India so I actually I'm going into the research process of like the differences between certain um, parts of India, like the weddings and all the traditions. So I'm actually looking forward to it because I'm going to call my aunt and just like, be like, all right, walk me through everything. And like, I, I look forward to like that part of it, not as much as like the online research and doing all of that, like digging part. But if it's yeah. like interviewing somebody, talking to people who like, like you said, like I would really enjoy the like 
calling up a like probation officer and like be like like talk me through this yeah um I think- so like that part of research I enjoy <laughs> okay how about you Aviva yeah I think it depends what type of research I like the idea of taking a like a whole degree like a course yeah. and then using that information <laughs> I think that I'd prefer that over doing my own individual research for that kind of thing but like for a script I wrote like called Twinsies it's like early 2000s Mary Kate Nashley inspired so like the research for that was re-watching the whole filmography oh, yeah. like I even ordered like some of their DVDs like off eBay because I couldn't find them all that kind of research where it's like a deep dive into something I already love and you you know so yeah it depends what kind of research but I think often I learn about something or I experience something and then it kind of translates into into what I end up writing yeah Um, you just sort of you fall into like oh hey that was an interesting thing I just learned like that would make a great story I think um for me, it's interesting. I agree with both of you. I love the personal aspect. Like you can go find the people like your aunt, right? Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you, you're going to plan on having a two hour conversation with your aunt. That's going to turn into a five hour conversation. (laughs) And then you're going to come up with all these other people. And then you're going to be like, okay, now I got to call another person to find out about this part of it. Right. Um, I love that part of it. I also, I love the online research because I find I just get into these rabbit holes where you start researching one thing and then Like I'm working on a project now that is um that is actually a thriller and it takes it's it's a period piece though. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that much about that period. I know a little bit. So I came across this website that actually had the police reports for murders in the 1800s. Whoa. And I was reading yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And well, I'm reading through website? it like <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. I can't remember. I'm just genuinely curious <laughs> to read that. <laughs> hand wrote the police reports and the witnesses. And if you, so this is what I mean by, by the rabbit hole. So they have the addresses of some of these places where it happened. So I go on Google and I look and some of those buildings still exist. Not been raised since the 1800s. I'm like, I'm literally looking at a picture of the building where this person was murdered. And I saw the police report. It's just, you Mm -hmm. just get so, you know, so you spend hours doing nothing to do with my script at all but I was like this is so (laughs) that's true we talked a little on our first episode about I I wrote a parody movie about Zac Efron and I was like my research was fun I just watched all of Zac Efron's movies and then I went down the reddit rabbit hole on Zac Efron but that was Mm -hmm. a fun world to go into which kind of helped create some of the characters just like reading like his fans perceptions of him right and like that was I mean I'm like yeah my research was I was just like stalking Zach Efron on the internet but mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> <Just> research <laughs> Reddit is is like horrifying and amazing at like the same time mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. there's things on Reddit you're like I cannot I had no idea that people like this exist and then yeah. there's, then there's other people who are like how did you get all this information you know and they come yeah. up with like great ideas that you can twist and turn and um, I love Reddit. Yeah. Yeah. Same mm-hmm. here. <laughs> and it's, it's really cool mm. that all of this is so accessible. Like it sounds like you didn't have to go to an archive and like dig right, through boxes yeah. no. to find the records. So it makes it wow. so easy for us. <laughs> it, it is easy. You have to be a little careful. You have to really be able to vet what you get online because there's a lot of misinformation. Obviously we all know that. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of it too, getting the master's degree helped a lot because so much of that research is the beginning of them in in grad school is teaching you 
how to research properly, mm-hmm. right? Because in undergrad, you know, you do a lot of uh, you do a lot of papers, but you're aggregating a lot of information. And in grad school, you're doing a deep dive into one very very specific yeah. subject, right? That's the difference. And so um, them teaching you what counts in in the academic world as research and what actually does not, you know. Um, but there are still good places to start with some of that if you want something that's going to be historically accurate or or whatever. If you're just doing the Zac Efron thing and you're taking people's opinions, you know, you can do kind right. of anything you want with it. Yeah. Sounds like an adorable adorable project it's really good <laughs> i feel so inspired now to like i'm like i want to go sit in a library and read a bunch of like <laughs> history textbooks i love the smell of libraries yeah oh my god yes. so book, old book smell it's, i love that smell. you've written for both hallmark and lifetime is there a big difference between writing for the two yeah so other than just the material being so different, right? Um, they sort of, the way they work is a little bit different. The, the way the company works, Hallmark is very, very branded. Hallmark does a lot of cross promotion with with advertising partners. Um, they're, you know, they're very holiday centric. Their demographic is a little different. You know, one of the things that a Hallmark exec once told me is that our movies are for people who want to watch it with their eight-year-old kid and their 80-year-old grandmother, right? Mm. That's who they're trying to market to. They're very feel-good. They're very branded. They're very, um, they're even, the way they're structured is, you know, very, very clear. They have a very clear structure. Lifetime is different than that. Lifetime, you might have, while Lifetime does their, kind of their stunts, they'll do like Crazy Nanny Weekend, right? And all the nanny movies play and and, or crazy roommate, whatever. Um, they, they have sort of just these topics and then the structure has a little bit more flexibility, right? In that, like you might be following the bad person the whole time and watching them scheme or Mm. in a lifetime, maybe you might be watching the good person and you don't know who's doing this to them. Right. So there's a lot more flexibility in that. You would never have that in a Hallmark movie. In a Hallmark movie, we're watching the couples, you know, sort of get together either with an initially contentious relationship or something that they were initially together that pulled them apart and then they have to overcome it. Um, so that's the biggest difference is sort of just how you build that story. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That makes sense. Actually. I think like, as you said that I could like picture a lifetime movie where you are seeing like the character and like little things are happening and it's kind of all unfolding versus the Hallmark movie is more these two people are falling in love and what's going to happen. <laughs> exactly. And in, in the lifetime movies, you know, there's sort of a blend of mystery and thriller too, right? Mm. Mystery, you know, the difference in that is that thriller, you know, who the b- bad person is and you know, what's going to happen to the character before it happens to them. So you see the person hiding behind the door as your character goes in, but they don't see them. So it creates this anxiety you feel for that character. That's a thriller. Um, A mystery is where you're with that character and you have no idea who's behind the door or if anyone's behind the door, right? So those are very different and they blend both of those and they go back and forth a lot with, with both of those types. Um, And, and with, you know, with Hallmark movies and and most rom-coms really, we're not there to try to guess anything. We're just right. there on the ride to to feel with the characters and and help and feel them falling in love with each other. So it's very different. One's much more cerebral, and the other's more emotional. I just yeah. realized. Uh, so I, I I read your script, the the charm bracelet, mm-hmm. right? Or I think uh-huh. the movie is a Little different Christmas title, Char- Little Christmas Charm. Okay. It's, it was released as a Little Christmas Charm. What you read was called um, the Charm Bracelet. Okay. Okay. 
Um, but I ha- I didn't I didn't get a chance to watch the movie. Is it a Hallmark movie or is I think it is, right? It is, yeah, okay. it is yeah, it is yeah. re-airing on Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. Uh, so if you go okay. to Hallmark Movies and Mysteries website and you put it in and you search it, it'll list showtimes that are coming up. Oh, I recorded okay. it. Um, on, we have like Fubo. So yeah, Isabel, you can borrow my login info and watch it. Yeah, um. I really want to watch it. But it's funny yeah. because now, now that I know a little bit more about you, I can totally see um like your criminal investigative background coming into it because um, i really loved the pacing in the script as they were like finding out about the different charms right and i was telling aviva that i was reading it last night and i I couldn't put it down like i read i would like started at like i was like okay i'll read part of it now and then i'll read it in the morning but then i stayed up all night reading it i was just like wow this is i feel i've kind of felt like i was reading a like mystery novel you know like I love the whole puzzle of, of putting it all together and I was in my mind I was like I I don't I think I know who it belongs to but I don't know for sure and we love Ashley Green and like everyone from Twilight and everything so it's like, I thought she was really great I finished the film uh, I watched it as well and I thought that they had really cute chemistry and we mentioned this in a previous episode when we interviewed Carly who wrote a she writes Hallmark and Lifetime as well and I always just want a pea coat. I just want every outfit <laughs> that Ashley wore. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I uh, One of the execs that worked on that film, right, I, I was mm-hmm. talking to him at Hallmark, and he told me that one of his favorite scenes of all time, that he of all the movies he's done at Hallmark, is that train scene um, where they go back to the 1920s or whatever and... Yeah. and um, yeah, they get to dress up and stuff. He's like, it's just so beautiful. And I was like, yeah, and it, it was. The way they shot that was really, really beautiful. And it does make yeah. you want a Truby and a Pico. Yes. Yeah. Really just want to look like that all the time. <laughs> Is that a real train like in New York? Is that a real thing? Or did you yeah. create that? Like so with the? It's based on a real thing in New York. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So the they do do a train that only comes in an, and it's decorated for the 1920s. And it, it's re- vamped i guess like they only bring it out onto the tracks for that time and it does a little spin around the city but ours looks the one in the movie obviously that was shot in canada looks different than we didn't shoot with the the real one but yes it's a real thing okay yeah yeah, i was wondering if when you were writing this were you looking up like christmas things like you know or did you have that in your mind already as like i want to do a scene with the train that I found that in the research, you know, I was just, I think I was Googling because the whole thing takes place in New York city. And obviously, you know, since you've seen it, New York is a really big part of that movie. The location's a big part of it. Right. Um, So I was trying to come up with cool Christmas stuff in New York to take these people to different places while they, they are on their search for the mystery woman. And, um, and I found this thing and I was like, Oh, that's amazing. Like how fun would that thing be? So yeah. So that, that one's real. Um, yeah, the Whitmore, which is the hotel, mm. right, where they figure out that is a fake hotel. Yeah, Isabel and I were talking as well. So, like, our favorite parts. Hopefully, this is not a spoiler, but yeah, we really like the the cake theme. I'll just say that mm-hmm. <laughs> we like the the German part of it. Um, yeah, that little trope. line at the end yes. of it was my we really that enjoyed little callback. I smiled mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, that was so perfect!" Yes, and <laughs> it, it also made me realize one of my favorite parts of a rom com. This is like a trope, maybe I guess, but not in a bad way. We love tropes. Uh, is <laughs> when a, uh, a female lead is like, "It's so beautiful here," 
or like it's so stunning here and then the guy always says like yes it is but he's like looking at her like I yeah. love <laughs> I, I melt for <laughs> That particular one, I'm always sort of reluctant to write it. And believe yes. me, I've written it a few times <laughs> in, in rom-coms. But it kind of really depends on how that actor plays it, right? It's yeah. either going to be super cheesy or it's going to be super cute. And it, it really depends on, so much of it actually depends on the actors and if their ability to sort of deliver those lines, you know, and, and Brendan Penny and Ashley Green are both great. This was the second movie I did with Ashley Green. I did a horror movie with her years ago. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, we love her. Yeah. 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 And, that, and that's so cool, like, about casting as well, now that you have creative control as a director and a producer, like, when you're writing something now these days do you already have the actor or actress in mind or is that later well, that's, a, that's a good question so i don't produce the hallmark movies i have mm -hmm. not done that i've produced um i have i produced two movies over the pandemic that were rom-coms one went to pure flicks and then is now on amazon and the other one went to up tv um and in that case yes i was i wasn't writing because m my company that i was working with is not union <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. So I, mm -hmm. so I ha used a non-union writer, but I helped them through the development process. And I had a great writer for both of those. And um, I, when I was directing and producing, then yes, I was very involved in the casting, which is really cool because you can sort of pick the person that you're thinking of. When I write, I don't really think of a, an actor unless, unless the network that I'm writing for tells me who they're going to cast. Like sometimes it'll be, oh, we're writing this specifically for like Allison Sweeney. So like for open by Christmas on Hallmark, I knew it was going to be Allison. So um, I could picture her because I've seen so many of her movies, right? I know how she delivers lines. I know what she, um, and that kind of helped me. But most of the time I don't try to just picture a, a random actor to have someone. They're just, they're sort of every actor when I'm, when I'm writing. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Do you, between producing, directing and writing, is there one that you you like most or like do you you it sounds like you want to do all parts of them right <laughs> I, well, writing is my first love obviously yeah. I was doing that you know since I was little um producing is my least favorite because <laughs> it's really just creative problem solving yeah. all day long every day <laughs> um, um and I love directing I I really like directing what I wrote because I feel like I can take it that next level when I'm directing something that someone else wrote. Um, I try to talk to the writer and cause I want to hear from them what their vision was. It's not mm. always so clear on the page, right? Cause we're trying to write so efficiently in a screenplay. Um, so I like to have those conversations. So I know what, what they're thinking and making sure that we're on the, the same page. Yeah. I've been wondering that with producers, um, people who write and produce and direct, like, does it ever, does it has it ever made it harder when you're writing if you're if you have like your producer hat on while you're writing and then you're kind of like like is this gonna work like do I need to take this out like how much is this gonna cost like <laughs> mm -hmm. I think at the beginning it does I think when you're leaning in too much like oh am I gonna go over budget by writing the scene it's really hampering creativity at that mm -hmm. point you should be writing a scene that works right and then later figuring out okay if I have to pair this scene back or I have to combine it with another scene that's a whole different thing. And I'm not sure it's a good idea to be trying to merge those things at yeah. the same time, you know, because they're very separate things. Um, when, when you're writing, you're imagining scenes play out in your head. So the writing and the directing go very much hand in hand, right? Because you've already sort of directed it in your brain mm -hmm. um, and you've written it to, to, 
to sort of be that way. So I would say with the producing, if you're doing all three, leave the producing to later, just write that great story. And then, you know, the other thing I see a lot of people do though, who are, they know they're going to direct it. They skip stuff. Like they don't, because they know what they're, who they're going to cast. So they don't give the description. Right. And I feel like that's a, that's a problem because ultimately when someone's going to see that script, whether it's the agent of the person you want to cast, whether it's your, you know, it's your crew, the information needs to be there as if you were writing it, as if you were never going to touch that script again, and you were going to hand it off to someone. So taking these shortcuts because you're going to direct isn't a very good idea. And I've had clients do that. And I, I always tell them like, go back and rewrite this in the way that you would just as a writer, you know, even if you weren't directing it. So I think that's something, it's a little bit of a trap people fall into. Okay. Yeah. I think we, we were reading a like production script, right? Like maybe one of the one like the one that got shot because I noticed there was a, there was like a little section on one of the pages where it had a, it said like production note, here's a, here's like two other pieces of dialogue to film. Um, so I've never seen that in a script before, but I think maybe that was just put in there, right? Yeah. So that you remember to do that. <laughs> yeah. That's, those are usually coming from the network. So, you know, once it goes into production and you have that white draft, you get production notes, you get director's notes, and then you get uh, usually a final set of network notes. Most of the network notes come prior to that, right? So, mm. but at that point, you get notes from all these different entities and they're usually pretty small, but for example, the network might say, you know, they might have another way they want. They're not sure yet how they want to cut this or what they want to include or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they'll tell you, can you just give us an alt line? And so <laughs> you write in there a production note, film it this way, you know, or um, alt line, you'll denote that. And so that when they get to the editing room, they know they're going to use one line or the other. And there'll be a discussion at that point with the director and the producers that I won't be a part of but they'll have the the footage they need. I'm curious if any of it is ever ad-libbed or you have to write something last minute on set or something. How common is that? Or is usually the script locked in at that point? So I, it happens. It happens. I would say, I would say 40% of the time Mm -hmm. you're right. So usually what happens is you've lost a location or there's some production issue, right? They're like, oh, we have this train. Um, By the way, the train isn't available or it's not working or whatever. So now it's not a train, Christine, it's this. Oh, you can imagine what that would do in this trip, right? So <laughs> they'll usually tell you like, okay, it's not a train anymore, but they're going to go on this little airplane together. And you're just like, okay, so it's modifying yeah. those things, right? I've been... um. I've been on set. I've been invited when I was doing the Lifetime movies when they were shooting in Canada. Um, there were multiple times I went up and you just sit in the production meetings. You sit, you talk to the actors. Sometimes if you have higher profile actors, they'll want to change their lines. They, cause they, you know, I find that like the, the more closer to a list and actor is the more they want to tell you what to write. <laughs> and it's fine. A lot of it is just um, sitting with the actor and hearing what they want to say or feeling, they'll tell you like, I just don't feel like I would say it like this, you know? And, and so you're just, you're finessing dialogue for them. Um, but most of the time it's because there's been some sort of a production issue, right. That has happened right away. They're shooting this tomorrow or they're shooting this the next day and, and they need new pages. I've always been curious who gets the final say or how those conversations play out in terms of creativity. Like, do you as the writer have to ever like, just let, you know, like go with the note, even though it's not what you'd want to do or is that? 
many, many times. Like the writer <laughs> is the one who is the peacemaker, right? Mm. Like you get everybody's notes and it's your job to figure out how to make everybody's notes work together. Now that doesn't mean you have to do every single note. And most producers and directors and actors know that you're not going to. A lot of times it's a suggestion. Um but it's really understanding what the gist of their issue is, right? Like they're not liking this scene or this interaction for some reason. And so they might give you a suggestion that, you know, kind of in your mind doesn't really work, but you get, oh, I see what they're, what they're bumping on. So let me fix it in another way. Um, so yeah, the, the final say is typically the person with the money. So that's usually the network, right? Yeah. They're going <laughs> to, you know, if, if a movie doesn't come out the way they like it, they're going to have reshoots and shoot things differently. Um, and, but at the same time, and, and, and you're just there sort of to make sure that they are happy. But a lot of, most of the time before a script is locked, everyone who needs to look at it has looked at it, has signed off on it. Everyone's happy with it. Um, and so there's not a lot of, you know, any dissension in terms of the script stuff or what was shot, you know, after it's, it's shot. There was a, there was a movie I did where um, they hired an actress who, who had a family member who was a big name, big name, but she was pretty new and um, she wasn't a good actress. And they realized that on the first day of shooting and I was on set for this. And so they had me rewrite every scene to give her dialogue to other characters. Oh um, my so, gosh. That, <laughs> so, you know, um, and then the scene that they realized how not good she was, um, they had me rewrite that scene in a new place and they reshot that one at the end of the schedule um, because they, they felt it was unusable. Um, so that was interesting because yeah, <laughs> that was, I had never had to deal with before. Oh gosh, like, yeah. okay, I give you the most simple dialogue mm -hmm. possible, you know, um, and then make it make sense that different characters that would have said this information that wouldn't have said this information are now saying that. Information, right. right? Yeah, yeah, that's unstressful. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> it was so necessary. Trust me, it was so necessary. <laughs> That's such a once in a lifetime thing. Like, let me just, because I don't want to see like I'm ragging on actors. Most of the time, mm -hmm. the actors are mm -hmm. amazing. They bring something to it. One of the things I love about acting and actors is they dive so deep into their character where you guys and me as a writer, we're thinking about all the characters, right? right. We will never dive as deep as an actor does into their own character. And, and they bring things because of that. And it, I mean, so many times it turns into something that's just so beautiful and you watch it and you go, oh my God. I wish I would have thought of that. That is brilliant, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, and 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 just seeing how they they change, and sometimes it's so much better than you even imagined when you were writing it. They they bring something so deep to it. So most of the time, that is the case, and that's why film is such a collaborative, you know, art form. But occasionally, you'll get this other this other little thing. Yeah. And I've once so that's cool yeah I've I've heard of writers taking acting classes to become better writers which maybe I'll do one day uh, <laughs> it's fun yeah it USC. In, in the in the screenwriting program at USC we had to take acting classes we had to take a directing class mm -hmm. we had to and then we had to take a stand-up comedy class oh wow that's fun yeah. but kind of intimidating depending Very on what kind of writer you are yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
very intimidating. Mm-hmm. It teaches you a lot, actually, in learning how to land jokes and dialogue and yes. understanding comedic timing and stuff when you have to think through that yourself. And then we had to get up and perform it, obviously. And so just knowing how that feels and knowing how better to, to you know, a lot of people will write dialogue that actors can't even say. It's so long. Sometimes I read scripts and it's so long. I'm like, it's so didactic. And, you know, no actor is going to want to say this. So how do you write in a way that makes actor you're giving actors the tools they need to be good at their job right that's your job that's your job yeah i think everybody should try stand-up comedy at some point in their life i feel like i i did it for a while um about a year ago and i i think it just totally like helped me like come out of my shell more become Mm -hmm. more comfortable public speaking and it totally helped my writing too like you're saying just learning how to really like land those jokes and and also it's just a good way to like test out material and just see how people react to it. Cause there, there'd be some things I would say, and I didn't think it was that funny, but then other people did or mm-hmm. things that you think are funny and then other people don't. So it, it totally like, it was so scary to, to do it. But I think after overcoming that fear, it kind of becomes a fun place where you can just, I don't know, open up more and, and really pull more out of your creativity in pitching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you can get up in front of an audience and know that some of your jokes are not going to land and you're going to hear that silence or the little laughters and you're like sad, you know, um, I think going into a room with execs or studio heads or whatever, and being able to read that room, right? Because you're constantly, as you're doing stand up, you're constantly reading the room. You're like, Mm -hmm. okay, this joke is not going, I'm going to go in a different direction. The, you're doing sort of the same thing in a, in a pitch, right? If you see someone's eyes glaze over, you're like, okay, I'm getting boring. So yeah. let's, let's yes. go. So I think it really helps with that too. At the beginning of your career, I'd be curious about pitching and was it always out loud? Were you sending in treatments? Like how did pitching work at the beginning so, versus now? Right. It's a, it's a lot different now. So in the, yeah. you know, I started my career, I graduated in 96. So I technically started my career in the late nineties. And that's when there was like a lot of money flowing in Hollywood, these big budgets and <clears throat> a lot of that kind of stuff. And everybody was doing in-room meetings, everybody and the, tons of meet and greets. And there was just constant like drinks and lunches and dinners. And it was all that. Um, there was something that was kind of nice about it because I really like seeing people face to face. I read people better when I'm in the room with them. And I feel like you connect and you remember people better when you've actually had a a real interaction. We do now so much on Zoom and so much through email that you don't really feel a connection a lot of times to the people other than their names, right? Like even Aviva, like it's been what, like two years, right? And we've communicated (laughs) several times, right? Just seeing you for the first time, I'm like, oh, now I feel like I know Aviva a little bit. Yeah, it's really nice. (laughs) On Zoom, and imagine like that gets so much better when you're in the room with someone. And Mm -hmm. and the conversation is flowing from other stories that you have, you know, and you're just getting to know like, oh, yeah, my kid did that. And, you know, so I think. I think it's sad we've moved into a place. It's much more efficient, but there's a lot that we miss now that yeah. that I think was there in the early 90s. Now you just send a pitch deck. You just send your pitch. You do a Zoom, you know, call. Um and and it's different. Yeah. I have another question about as a producer, like you read a lot of scripts and do you have like how do you know what's this is a hard question, maybe. How do you know what's good writing? How do you know it? Do you know immediately that you want to work on a project? Like if, if you aren't the writer or like, I don't know. Yeah. Like just what's the process like 
figuring out what scripts you want to work on? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I know immediately if the writer is a good writer. I know in the first three pages. And it's how they, it's how the writing supports the content. And that's one of the things that, you know, it's, I hate to be one of these people who's like formatting, but when stuff is not formatted, you're like, oh, like, this is how you feel, right? As you, yeah. When you're properly formatted, you instantly just go, okay, they've done this before, right? So it's just like the, the things in your mind that you're worried are going to make you hate the script are like, you're getting rid of them. Yeah. Right. And that's what people don't understand. And I see so much like online saying like, oh, you don't have to form. There's no rules. There's <laughs> right, no rules. You can break rules for sure. Of course. Right. But what are you trying, like, what are you trying to achieve? Is it mm. just breaking rules for the sake of breaking rules? Maybe that's not the best choice. You know, if there's a real creative reason for it, then that's probably a choice where someone who's going to read and be like, oh, that's kind of smart what they did. Yeah. But if it's yeah. just because you don't like to be a rule monger, that doesn't make sense. So I can tell right away formatting. I can tell if the, if the style of the writing supports the content. So if it's a comedy script and the writing is funny in the description and it's tight, I'm like, okay, this person writes comedy. I get it. Mm -hmm. It's going to be funny because they know how to write comedy. Right. But if it's a lot of like, if it's long descriptions and it's not funny, but they're trying to say that this is a comedy, I'm like, where, when does it get funny? Mm -hmm. You know? So that's what you're kind of looking for at the beginning of that. Um, so I, I can tell you that I, in terms of the overall story, once you get through it um, and, you know, a lot of times if the writing's not good, you know, the, the person reading is not going to get through it. They're going to put it down by page 15 and it's a hundred percent true. They'll just be like, eh, no, it's a waste mm -hmm. of time. But if it's good enough and the person and the reader gets through it, sometimes I'm like, this is a really great story, but the execution wasn't quite right. Being a writer myself, I usually know how to execute it differently. I'm, you know, I, I can be like, okay, here's where it went wrong. This is what has to be fixed hmm. versus sometimes you'll get notes, you know, maybe from a director or whatever, a, a manager, agent, whatever, who isn't a writer and they're not sure how to fix your script, right? They just, they can identify the problem, but they don't have that. Um, it's one of the things I talk about when I talk about screenwriting consultants, when I tell people to, when they're hiring screenwriting consultants, because I am one. You need to find somebody who is actually going to give you solutions mm. to your problems, not just tell you what the problem is. Right. Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> a lot of people think that. Um, but, you know, when you hire a screenwriting consultant, you're hiring your own personal development executive, right? To work through these problems with you, not just be like, here's my notes, bye. So that's where another thing I always tell people is like, find the person who can do that. And usually it's the person who is writing in the genre that you are writing in because yeah. they have experience doing it yeah. themselves. Okay. So now <laughs> we're going to do our quick fire rounds. We're still thinking of a creative title for that. So let us, yeah. let us know if you have any ideas, <laughs> like some kind of trope related to quick fire round, but for now it's quick fire round. Okay. So the first question, what is your favorite rom-com and why? <sighs> okay. So my favorite classic rom I no question is simple and easy with me, right? Because I have too many. So my favorite one, my favorite classic one would be um, It Happened One Night. Oh, I don't think I don't know if you've ever seen Claudette Colbert and um, who else was in that? Clark Gable. It's oh, great. It's, okay. it's sort of, okay, it's like from, the, I think, the 1930s, black and white, but it set up everything you will always see in the future for rom-coms. It is the original and it's really well done and, and they're both great. Um, also, I would say for rom-coms, As Good As It Gets, which is an mm -hmm. older one with Jack Nicholson and um, not so much 
a typical one, but 500 days of summer is one of the ones oh, I really I love need. 500 days of summer. I love that one as well. <laughs> okay. Um, do you have a favorite Christmas rom-com? Or um, do you have a favorite thriller? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is my favorite Christmas. It's not even really a rom-com though. I love Love Actually. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. That, that's yes. a great movie. It's a great Christmas movie. Um, but I would say, no, not really. In terms of a thriller, um, Frailty is one of my favorite thrillers Ooh, with Matthew McConaughey. I, I haven't Frailty. seen it. Oh, that one's worth seeing. Okay. Check that one out. Okay. I like that. <laughs> what is your favorite rom-com trope to write? Probably the contentious relationship where they're forced together. It's so, they're so hard to write that, right? It's so hard to force people into a room together like 10 different times where they hate each other and then make them fall in love, yeah. right? But, but that we meet each other and they're contentious at the beginning, sort of like in Little Christmas Charm, right? Say, yeah. She knocks the cake out of her hand and they hate each mm -hmm. other and then he asks her out and then she's like, what? No. Mm -hmm. So I, those are probably my, that's probably my favorite show. This is not in the quick fire round, but I just wanted to ask real quick. Um, did you come up with the idea for A Little Christmas Charm? No. So actually, it's based on a book. But oh, okay. interestingly, the book is nothing like the movie because they don't meet until the last scene. So it's oh. a male doing his thing and a female doing her like thing. Like in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Oh, okay. And, and when I got the book, Hallmark was like, well, we love the concept of the book, which is the, the charm bracelet, I think, is like belongs to him right that's in the book oh, so yeah. he you know they're doing their own thing but they're like but we have to get these characters together in the first act so <laughs> there was a lot, a lot of the book i could keep right because mm -hmm. i had to have them doing things together oh okay okay that's fun i like that and you got to read the book i'm assuming before you oh, wrote yeah. the script yeah. <laughs> it's a great book it just didn't work for the type of movie they wanted to do if they were willing to do a sleepless in seattle style mm -hmm. where we could keep them separate and have them meet at the end then i would have stuck much closer to the book but okay. that they gave me the mandate that that is not what they wanted to do so well i like how i like how you did it <laughs> thank you i'm glad you like it yeah. <laughs> okay what is your favorite rom-com outfit oh I would have to say it's um, Elwood's pink outfit. <laughs> yes. I that's what I always so think. <laughs> and I think every time I think of Reese Witherspoon, I think of her in that outfit for some reason, right? That's my first thought. Yeah. So it's, Honestly, when you came on screen, that was my first thought I had was I was like, Elwood's is here. <laughs> the pink, yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite rom-com line or moment that comes to mind i would say in as good as it gets the moment where he says to her you make me want to be a better man is one of my favorite lines uh, in any rom-com and part of the reason is he's he's so cantankerous like he can't say anything nice ever and when he comes up with this incredible compliment which is, you know, imagine if, you know, somebody said that to you, like, I want, you make me want to change my whole life to be a better person because of yeah. you. Um, it just, it lands so well because of the way his character has been built. And yet it's so awkward when he says it and she's so <laughs> awkward receiving that compliment and, and it's in the middle of a fight anyway. And um, it's just, it's a great, it's such a well-crafted moment and a well-crafted line. Yeah. 
That is, that's so, that's such a flattering thing for someone to yeah, say, for sure. And, and I do feel like that's the point of a rom-com. Like, I, I like seeing characters make the other person better, you know, like character development. They really challenge each other and make the other better. Have you seen any rom-coms recently that you'd recommend? Um, not that I would recommend recently. There was one Netflix did that I really liked last, I think it was last year or maybe the year before called Love Hard. Oh my gosh. I feel like we talk about that every episode. I love, I, I, it's Nina Dobrev is the character and, and, um, I just, it's, there's so many things that are like, this is so wrong. Like he, he's catfishing her and I'm like, it goes to such a level, but you still, even though cerebrally, you're like, oh, this is so dysfunctional. You want them to end up together. Yeah, you're just like, yeah. I, so it I is think so good. I agree. The writing is just so good that they've been able to accomplish that and push the envelope to the point where both of these characters could be slightly unlikable yeah. right, for what they're doing. Um, probably more than a home, you would do maybe like in a Hallmark or an own or up you know, script. Um, but, but they did it and they pulled it off and, and it's such a cute movie and I've seen it like twice. I'm like, ah, you know, this is one I could just keep watching over yeah. and over. Yeah. That's the humor so, is so, so good. The caroling, the caroling scene I watched, so, like just the brother, the competitive brother is such good humor. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so they brought in like the, that kind of over the top comedy into yes. that was mm-hmm. with the brother, right? Cause he's mm-hmm. so over the top. I love right. Yeah. yeah, they're so grounded. So, <laughs> okay, we just have a few more. We're I know we're we're gonna end this really soon. Um, so if money didn't matter, what's a rom com you'd make? It would probably be some over the top, really expensive location movie like Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> yes, that'd be I amazing. Because I mean, who didn't Google flights to Malaysia yeah, after? Right. Yes. <laughs> After watching that movie. Um, so yeah, I think I think it would be something like that where that wedding scene in, in the water, you know, where she's walking the water's coming down and you're just like, This is this is insane. But it's so breathtaking and so beautiful and it takes you on such a fantasy. Um, I think those are fun. Wanderlust rom coms are yeah, I was just gonna say <laughs> there's one on and set in Germany, I think Heidelberg or something that I saw advertised Ooh. on Hallmark this year. I think it looks really cute. I'm gonna watch <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what are you working on now? What's on the horizon? Maybe remind us about your uh your webinar again. Yeah. Yeah. So um December 2nd, 10 a.m. Pacific, I'm doing my webinar on how to write a holiday movie. So Christmas, you know, we've gone into Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and stuff. And so now we're saying they're holiday movies um, because that's what people are buying, which is amazing. And we're going to lean into what you need to have for that. It's a two-hour webinar. And then also the we're calling it the toolkit of what you need to be able to sell it. So we're going to lean into the second half of the webinar is going to be mostly about that and and all the things that you need and how to, how to figure out who to query, right? Okay. You've got this great query lever and who do you send it to? How do you get those addresses? Things like that. Um, So that is $99 um, early bird discount until November 24th. Yes. Thank you. And then the price goes up, but not by much. So um, so join us for that. It comes with an ebook that I have written that will kind of outline everything in much more detail that you can just keep with you and use it when you write your movie. And then it also comes with a logline review. So you can send me your logline afterward and I will send you my comments on your logline on how to improve it. Um, so that's the webinar. Um, and then I'm working right now. I just got news this week that my Hallmark 
mystery, not holiday, was greenlit. So Ooh, it's going to go yay. into Thank you. Um, it will go into production very soon. And it was a really fun one to write. And I love this character so much. And so I'm so excited. I'm so excited about that. It's it's a jewelry heist movie. Ooh. So- <laughs> Always fun. love a good heist movie. Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. and awesome. So what is your website and are you active on social media? So I am active on social media. Um, ChristineConrad.com. You, there's a contact page if you if anyone has questions or just wants to reach out or um, learn about my consulting services or anything like that. That's where you can get all of that information. Um, you can follow me on Facebook Screenwriter Christine Conrad, which is my public page. And on that page, if I find contests and things like that or anything interesting, interesting article, I post it there. Um, it's mostly awesome. writers who follow that. Yeah. And then I'm on um, X slash Twitter. I'm not mm-hmm. used to calling it X. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm literally was Twitter. X. At C Conrad, um, and my name has that T at the end that no one oh. is quite silent. And then um, also on Instagram, and I don't post very much on Instagram. Like I think I have zero posts actually right now on Instagram, but I have I do have people following me. It's all for the screen myself, and I'm about to start a newsletter, um, which will be kind of integrated with Instagram. Instagram, and then I will also be um, launching in the new year. Um, a writer's group. So for a subscription, oh, cool. you get to come on and we get to, so for the first, like they're an hour long for the first 15, 20 minutes, we just talk about one aspect of screenwriting. And then we talk about your scripts and things like that. So Fine. for people who live in places where they can't get an in-person writer's group, I think this would be great. And it's, um, it's two times a month for like 10 bucks. And it's so $5 to log on. And then also to help you meet other people writing in your genre so that you can read each other's scripts, right. And give notes, right. Because not everyone has access to that and can find those, those people. So, um, so that'll be coming in the new year. And so I'll be, I'll be putting out information about that when that is all ready to go. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we'll list in our show notes, all of those like links and everything. So people can um, read the notes there and, and find all of that. But Thank you so much. This was super inspiring. I feel so like ready to go right and do some more research. And um, I also can't wait to watch your movie and check out more of your stuff. So thank you for your time. You guys had great, great questions. And it's so nice to just, isn't it just inspiring to talk to other people who love to write? Yeah. It's just, I always feel so happy afterwards. So So thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. This has been an episode of When Isabel Met Aviva. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to stay up to date with our episodes, please subscribe. Bonus points if you leave us a positive review. You can follow us on Instagram at WhenIsabelMetAviva, also on TikTok at WhenIsabelMetAviva, and then on Twitter when on Twitter is IsabelMetAviva. Yes, yes, we weren't okay. okay. <laughs> couldn't keep the whole thing. <laughs> We're both on Instagram and Twitter. If you guys have any questions or need advice or just want to chat about your screenplays or your screenwriting career um or if you just want to obsess over rom-coms with us my social media is just at it writes comedy on twitter slash x and then at isabel underscore k underscore t on instagram (laughs) this will all be in the show notes for you to find aviva do you want to shout out yes i'm just aviva pelton on all platforms twitter instagram 
Uh, yeah, so Avivas yeah. are a lot easier to remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll, we look forward to having more episodes coming out and just, you know, watch and write as many rom-coms as you can over the next week. See you next time or Bye, guys. talk to you next time. Talk to you soon. <laughs>